My name is Rusty Milton. I'm one of the pastors here at First Pres. It's great to worship with you this morning. Great to open God's Word. If you would uh, open in your scriptures to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, verse 28 to 40. So let me, while you're doing that, let me just give you a touch of background, what's going on. That, you know, the, the four Gospels are really, they're a race to get to the cross, to the Passion Week, and then they, they slow down. And so now we're approaching Passion Week, the week of the death of Christ. And re- remember this, G- Jesus was a Jew, and he was a Jew that lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem. And so every year, his family, depending on where you live, is where you celebrated the Passover feast. And so because they lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, they would come to Jerusalem. He'd been doing this his whole life. So in John 1, Christ's public ministry begins. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. And John says this, Behold, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then... For his entire life, they would go up to the city, to the temple, with 270, something thousand, something like that, lambs to be slaughtered for the sins of God's people, for forgiveness. He'd been doing that. And yet he'd never announced that he was the Messiah, the King. And so finally, here we are, we're in Luke 19, and it's been three years of public ministry for him. He enters Jerusalem He enters this time quite differently. He enters as a king, riding on a colt, fulfilling prophecy. But he also enters with 270,000 lambs as the Lamb of God that John the Baptist said would be slaughtered for his sins people, his people's sins. So if you would, let's pick up in chapter 19, verse 28. And please read with me. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany on the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray for our time. 
Oh Lord, we see such different things here. We see the hard heart of the Pharisees. They didn't want to worship. They were angry. They wanted to rebuke because you were being praised as the Messiah coming into the city. And then we see the followers. And they are worshiping with all they have. They're laying down their coats, Lord. They're cutting palm branches and laying them down. Lord, and they are worshiping, singing the Psalms. Oh, Father, thank you so much that for every believer, you, you have truly come in, you've come into our hearts as a living Savior. You've poured out the love of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And I pray this morning that we would worship afresh, Lord, for everything that the Savior has done for us, the Messiah. In Jesus' name, amen. When, when he regained his sight, his response was worship and praise. Max Licata tells the story of Bob Eddins who had been blind and he couldn't see anything. And in his own words, the world was a hall of sounds and a hall of smells for five decades, 50 years, until finally a skilled surgeon had developed a procedure and he, he did the procedure on Bob's eyes and he was able to, to see again. And when he was able to see again after 50 years, he was absolutely overwhelmed. And I just want to read to you what he said. I would have never dreamed that yellow is so yellow. I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow. But red is my favorite color. I can see the shape of the moon. And I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing lights. You could never know how wonderful everything is. You see what he's doing? For him, he had regained his sight. And he's, he's worshiping. He's responding in praise for what he's experienced. He's, he's amazed. That's Luke 19. King Jesus is entering his city. It's the Passover. He is the Passover lamb. The city is full, full. And, and many there, they've come because they've heard the Messiah has now come. But the Pharisees are also there. And they say, aren't you going to rebuke them? Aren't you going to stop them for praising you as the Messiah? And Jesus simply says, look, if, if these people were silent, the very rocks would cry out. It's one of the greatest events in the history of redemption. It's taking place here. And where we see God's greatness in such a way, His love in such a way, Him keeping His promises in such extraordinary ways that praise is demanded. If not by people, then Jesus says creation will do it. So we have a question this morning. We're going to look at our text. Says, what is so great about the triumphal entry that Jesus says, look, if these people don't praise me, then the very rocks will cry out. There's three things. First is this, that the Lamb of God enters the Passover. Look at verse 28. Let's start there. Verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Stop there. 
He's coming from Jericho, right? And he, he, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. And he's going to Jerusalem, which means he's going over the Mount of Olives. And he's going for Passover, which is what he had done his whole life. And there's a crowd with him, right? Because everybody's expecting he's raised somebody from the dead. It's a well-known event. Now he's going as Passover. Of course, he's coming to proclaim himself amongst the millions to be the king. And there's a crowd following him. Now at Passover, there were about three million Jews that would come into Jerusalem. They would camp all around the city. And they would come, all of them, with either a lamb to be slaughtered and then eaten, rejoicing in the forgiveness and the grace that God's judgment had passed them by, by the blood of the lamb who took their transgressions. Or they would either buy a lamb for the temple for their families. But it was a time of celebration. God is forgiven. God has provided a forgiveness for us. Now, Bethany, where Jesus had raised Lazarus, on the other side of the Mount of Olives, very close to Jerusalem. And so word was spreading, certainly. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. Pilgrims are coming. And as the crowds approach, the Jews would come out of the city you can, I want you to picture this. The Jews would come out of the city as pilgrims came in, and they would sing the Hallel Psalms. That's Psalm 113 to 118. They had it memorized, and they would sing it in response, back and forth, singing, praising, as they enter into the city with all eyes on Jesus. What would he do? Verse 30 in your Bibles, if you look there with me. saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. Stop there. As he's coming over the Mount of Olive, Jesus says, look, go into the village opposite you. And as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied. No one's ever set there. Bring it. And you stop and you pause and you say, okay, why a colt? Well, in Israel, kings had two animals that they would ride. They rode horses and, not horses, horses. <laughs> <laughs> that was for all the kindergartners here. <laughs> they rode horses and donkeys. <laughs> you see how you could get those two confused. <laughs> Horses and donkeys. Horses were rare. They were used for battle. Donkeys, everyday use, right? It was the standard fare, and it would signify peace. Now, I want to read to you Zechariah 9.12, the prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O Jerusalem. Shout, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Everybody knew that prophecy. You put it together, kings rode donkeys in times of peace. And Zechariah prophesies hundreds of years before Jesus that the Messiah 
is going to the king that's to come, is going to enter Jerusalem, not on a donkey, not on a horse, but the colt, because he will be the king of peace. King is entering to make peace with the rebellious people by his own blood, by his own sacrifice. And like Caleb just said to me earlier as we were discussing this, a, a colt, a donkey, would be where an animal that carried burdens for people. And Jesus is riding a colt signifying, I am here to carry your burden of sin. I am entering into Jerusalem as the Lamb to carry your burden for you. Now, Christ first came on a donkey to bring peace, but He is coming a second time. And the second time, He will not be riding a donkey. He will be riding a horse. He will be the king of judgment. You see, there, there's a lot more to it here. Remember, Jewish kings rode war horses and donkeys. In times of war and judgment, they rode the horse. Donkeys to signify peace. Jesus first rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey to die for our sins. God's peace offering to carry our judgment to finish it, to take it on the cross and rise and show that it's, the work is accomplished. With a multitude of disciples following Him and a multitude coming out of the city to meet Him. You need to understand that. See that. He's coming. People are with Him. People are coming out of the city. But what about when He comes again? A King of judgment. A King of war. I want to read to you Revelation 19.11. Notice these words. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And on his head were many crowns. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And on his robe is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming again, and He's coming as the King of kings, the King of judgment, and the King of war, with a multitude with Him. First Thess 4 tells us that we will come up to meet Him in the sky. So picture the same picture that you just saw in the Passover, the triumphal entry. He enters the city. The people come out to sing Him praises to him. That's exactly how it will be when he comes a second time. He will come again with a throne of people wearing crowns signifying that he is the king of kings coming to earth. This time not on a colt, not on a donkey, but on a war horse to bring judgment and righteousness. And we will come, First says 4, up to the clouds, the heavens to meet him. We won't go away. We'll come back to earth. That, that's, that's what happened the first time, and that's what will happen the second time. You see, that's what happens when kings would come in from a battle. The people would come out to meet him. Yes, we've conquered. Yes, we've won. Yes, our king has returned. He's alive. Now let's go back to the city and rejoice. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Coming back to the city, to the new Jerusalem, and rejoicing at King Jesus coming again. Do you, do you see how this fits together? 
And do you see that he, is, he has given us a picture of that right now in the triumphal entry, in the Passover? In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. And on the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever he did in his life because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his need. Listen, because he had received the king of peace, he would not be afraid to face the king of judgment. When Christ entered Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt, what was he triumphing over? Over God's judgment for our sins. How? Because he is entering as a king in Passover feast to give his life as the lamb offering to take away your sins and the sins of all who believe and look upon him with faith. Two times after the triumphal entry, he says it. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He's saying you have peace with God now. Again, 1633 in John, these things I have spoken to you that you may have peace. In Christ, by faith, your relationship with the Father is no longer one of wrath. It's no longer one of a war horse, of punishment. It's one of peace. Not because you met his terms of peace by being moral or religious or good, but because he met his own terms of peace. His terms were met in full by his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Those terms he gives to us in the gospel. And we are to receive them and believe and repent and trust him as our king. And the promise then is we have peace with the King of kings and Lord of lords for all eternity. How do we think and live this? Let's close with this, a few last thoughts. When Christ entered the King to bring peace to rebellious people, God's glory of grace, mercy, kindness, compassion, they were on display. Worship and praise must occur. And this is why Jesus says, if they keep silent, the people, the very creation will cry out. Why? Because there is only one response to encountering God's glory, His greatness. It is a life of worship. This is what we see all the creatures in heaven doing what we even see non-Christians doing there in Philippians 2. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so when God enters as king to make peace for his people, the lamb to be sacrificed, there's only one response. It's worship and praise, either by the people or by creation. If you are a believer, you're a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus, you say Jesus is your king. Christ has entered the gates of your life as the king of peace. The lamb's sacrifice was for your sins. And there is only res one response. And that is a life of worship because of what he has done and because we never have to face the king of wrath 
riding on a right horse, ready to do battle with us and our sins. The Lamb has carried those sins on the cross. So, three things. Worship in the face of rebuke. Luke 19.39, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. There's worship. And in the midst of the Lamb going to the cross, there is rebuke. The Pharisees came to investigate. Was he really claiming to be the king on a donkey? And notice their response to the worship. They rebuke him. There's a battle going on for worship. If Christ has entered your life, if He's your king as a believer, you experience the same battle, don't you? I know you do. Every believer does. And if you don't, then maybe Christ is not the king of your heart. The Spirit calls you to worship. But the flesh, the enemy rebukes you, doesn't he? He's saying, look, it's Sunday. You're behind on work. Don't come to worship. Just go to work. It's early in the morning. Don't get up and worship. Sleep. It's evening time. Turn on your favorite show. There's, there's some basketball game on. Don't spend time in family worship. All to stop worshiping. I, I, I really want you to get this. In the same way the Pharisees wanted to stop the worship of Christ, so the world, the flesh, and the devil, at every turn in your life, want you to stop worshiping. Want you to not lead your family in worship. Want you not to come on Sundays or Wednesday nights. Why? Because worship is where you encounter the living God. It's where you drink. It's where you become alive spiritually. It's where you're clothed with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And if you're not worshiping, you're like dry bones. Which is exactly what the world, the flesh, and the devil want. And therefore, every time you worship, expect rebuke. It will happen. Second, how do you worship? Worship with words of truth. Now, the same story as John 12. It says this, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory on the highest. What are they doing? They're quoting the Hallel Psalm, Psalm 118. Right? They're praising God. Sung during the Passover. Often we think of praise, we say things like, Thank you, God, for my new car. Thank you for my big house. Thank you for my beautiful wife. Thank you for my nice life, my job, my family. Amen. And those are good things, and we should thank God for that. But we're often great at praying just worldly blessings. But what about praising God for who He is? That's what they're doing here. That's what the, psalm, the Hallel Psalms are. This is the heavenly example of praise. Revelation 4, 8. Four living creatures before the throne, day and night, praising God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The 24 elders falling down saying, thank you, God, for my house and my car. Come on. No, that's not what they were saying. That's not a bad thing to say. But the 24 elders are saying, you were worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things by your will they exist. Do you see how praise is just all about the glory of God? 
In, in, in the Hallel Psalms and the Passover and then in heaven, it's all about the glory of God. And so it is with us. What should your worship life be like? Yes, thank Him for what He's done. Absolutely. But then go to the Word. Read it. Praise Him for who He is. The King of peace. The Lamb of God. Everything that He's done for you. Praise Him for it. Worship Him for it. Third thing is worship with action. We'll close here. Luke 19.36 As He went, many spread their cloaks on the road. John 12, 13, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out. When the king entered the city, there was a custom, show your joy, your love for him by spreading your clothes on the ground, taking palm branches and spreading them for him to walk on. Why? Because mere words can't fully show the love they had for their king. Do you see the people there are so gripped with love for the Messiah who has come to deliver them that mere words will not contain their praise. It is only shown through words and action. So they take off their clothes, their garments, and they cut palm branches and they lay them down for him to walk on. Action must accompany our praise. 1 Timothy 2.8 Here's one action Paul suggests. I desire in every place men should pray. <gasps> Listen to this. Lifting holy hands. There's an action. He tells you how do you praise. Lifting your holy hands when you pray. A fulfillment of the praise. Not just the words, but an action. Most of us, we view worship as just words to God on Sunday or maybe in our devotional time, but for a Christian, all your life is worship. Every action is a response to what He's done for you. Do you see that? So, so we worship Him with actions. Yes, our words. By honoring Him with how we live before other men and before Him when no one else is worshiping. So I want to call you. Your response to the Gospel is to be a people of worship. Yes, praise Him, worship Him, who He is through the Scriptures, with words. Praise Him with actions. All of your life, everything that you do, everything that you do is a response that is to be a response of worship because the Messiah has come to bring peace. The Lamb of God has come to take away your sins and to bring oneness between you and the living God. Father, I, I just praise you. Um, thank you for the work of our Messiah, our King. Picture it, raising Lazarus in Bethany. A crowd coming over the hill. Words spread. People think that you're coming in to proclaim yourself as King. But instead, you're coming in to die. You're coming in with all those lambs to carry our burden, our sin, and to die and to rise to show that everybody who repents and believes, everybody who leaves all and follows Jesus is forgiven and washed. Thank you for the Lamb of God. Thank you for 
Hosanna, the King of kings who entered and also enters our lives. Every believer, God, you enter our lives and you bring your kingdom to bear there. And we praise you for it. May we be a people of worship, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesday nights, but in everything that we do, responding to your goodness, your love, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could just invite the elders.